Turn together to Micah chapter 6. It's very, you know, it's very appropriate that uh, we've been singing these things, you know, to this point. And uh, I mean, Cody and I, like we communicate about this, but in, in general, you know, like he, he'll kind of go a direction with the before the sermon stuff and then um, the after the sermon stuff will tie in directly and but I think that this really puts a good bookend, not a bookend, but really it's a framework, I guess, for kind of where this text you know, finds us a little bit. Just in view of the love of God and the, uh, the rescue that we have been uh, celebrating, the rescue from, from sin and from death. Uh, you know, so you go all the way through Lent, and you get to Holy Week, and it's like Palm Sunday, and it's so awesome, and Holy Week's rolling forward, and Good Friday is... Super heavy, you know, and dark, but uh, you, but necessarily so. Um, I think, you know, for a lot of people, Good Friday is just, it's a day off of work, you know, and everybody's like, yeah, whatever. And then, but I think moving through Lent, like headed toward, I mean, you're headed toward Easter Sunday, but Good Friday, you got to go through Friday to get to Sunday, and there should be a heaviness uh, and a darkness, you know, about that day for us, and then. Easter Sunday is so it's so just awesome and the story and just how everything connects and the freedom that has come our way and the glory of Jesus and there's just so so much that that there's in a sense like after that it's like where do you go next you know like um, I don't know how many like like I'm not a massive Facebook person but I did notice like on Sunday and on Monday lots of like pictures and people's churches with uh, like Let's just say they put a heavy investment on the like on the production value of their Easter services. So it's lights and smoke and lights, you know, lasers and whatever. It's like these big like just shots of like just like we're just we're gonna throw it all out there, you know. And and I think as someone in, in ministry, you're like, where do you go? Where do you go next? What's the what's the response? Not that it's a letdown at all, but it's like where where does it go from here? And um, and in praying about that and also knowing that uh, churches every, all over the country are talking about justice today and how that fits together. And the Lord just really brought me to Micah 6 and um, you know, the, the context here. I'm going to talk a lot more about the first three verses next week. And so I'm going to need you all to come back next week uh, and pick up on that. Because I want to make sure that we dig into this appropriately. But um, the first three verses, really the first five verses... God is, uh, it's like a courtroom, and um, God is, has brought an indictment against the people of Israel uh, because they, they have been disobedient, they have strayed from Him, they have gotten to where they were just content just bringing a bunch of sacrifices, and, and that was it, and they were just really missing the point of being the people of God. And, and so uh, there's this like courtroom kind of setting, and uh, you know, it's... Something we'll get into next week a little bit. But a part of what it is, is, is really, like, in, in view of the goodness of God, what's the proper response? Like, when you see Him for who He is and what He has done, uh, and you see Him in all His glory, how does that impact your life? You know, so in other words, when you come away from Easter Sunday, um, 
What do you do with that? How does it, how does it impact the way that you live? What's the proper response? How do you bring yourself before the Lord once you've seen the complete story and you see who He is? So let's start in verse 6. I'm afraid if I get into 1 through 5, I'll be here for like 45 minutes and not even have made the point that I was headed towards. So we're just going to skip it and just trust. We'll covenant together. Everyone will come back next week. Okay, cool. Um, so look at verse 6. It says, with, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Okay, so that's, that's the question. He's responded in this courtroom setting. God has just, he's like completely, he's pled his case. He's laid it out there in front of them, his like faithfulness. And really it comes down to this, that, that Easter, you know, Easter, Jesus on the cross and all that stuff, it is a demonstration of love and, and a victory over sin and death. Um, but there's another part of it that, that we have to keep in mind as well. It's, it's God proving and showing us that he is a covenant keeper. Um, that he said he was going to do this, and he did it. He entered into covenant, and he kept his part of the bargain. And so that's a, not a bargain, but you know what I'm saying, like his end of the deal. Um, he's a faithful covenant keeper. And so a part of how you can think about this interaction between God and Israel is it's like he's the husband and they're the wife, and he's saying, I've been, I've been the best husband you could ever ask for. Why are you not responding in obedience and love and with goodness? Um, and so uh, Micah then responds in this verse, and he's like, okay, so what am I, what's the proper response for the perfect, covenant-keeping God who's been completely faithful and good? Um, what, how do we respond, uh, in his words, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old. All right, now notice the progression. Burnt offerings, and it gets bigger. With calves a year old. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? With ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? So he's saying, in view of who God is, should we just keep getting more and more intense and impressive with the sacrifices that we bring? Is that, is that the point for Israel? Once you've seen who He is, are you supposed to just keep like trying to top it the week before, the week before? Is that the response that God's looking for? And of course, the answer is no. From the very beginning, God has said, I'm, I'm not all that impressed with your sacrifices when the heart behind them is missing. And that's kind of what Israel had slipped into, is just, they were, let's go through the motions um, and just, just do what we have to do to keep God happy and whatever it takes. All right, more rams, that's fine. More cattle, that's fine. More oil, that's fine. Uh, my firstborn, okay. And Micah's using absurdity to make a point, which is that's missing the point. And he says in verse 8, He's told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? See, from the very beginning, God has told us what He wants from us. The, sacrifice, the sacrifices and that whole sacrificial system of Israel played a certain role in their, in their lives. 
but they weren't like paying paying their dues for this club that they were a part of. It's not this not like the taxes that you have to pay to be a part of the people of God. But it had kind of become that way for them. They're like, well, let's pay whatever we got to pay to keep God happy, you know. And he's saying, I've already I've told you what I want. Is I want you to to love me and to love one another in such a way that looks like me. In a way that is just and filled with mercy and faithfulness. That's, that's what I want. That's the response. For us, that's the response to Easter. The response to Good Friday. The, the response to Holy Week. The response to Lent. The res- response to everything that we know about God. Is we are to love. To love Him to love each other, and to love Him and, and each other in ways that looks, that looks like Him. We are to, to reenact the Gospel over and over and over again. When you reenact the Gospel over and over and over again, you are living in the kingdom and in the freedom that He has provided. And so, um, what we're going to do over the next three weeks, we're going to look at, at each of those three forms of love. That's what the, uh, I saw it a couple of places. The ESV Study Bible sums it up that way. Uh, that these are the primary forms of love. So do, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. And it sums those up as justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I think that's just, a, it, I think it hits the nail on the head. And so we're going we're gonna to use that. And so today is going to be, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at justice. And, and that as a form of love, one that reenacts the gospel, and one that... Um, is an honorable and truthful response to God for what He has done, and one that God wants. That's what, what God is telling us. He's like, you want to know how to respond to Easter? Justice. Okay, so what, what, is it, what does that mean? Do we all, do we become superheroes? No. Do we all, like, join the uh, police academy, go through, become police officers? No. Uh, some of you are police officers. We're grateful for you. Some of you will be police officers, and that's awesome. But that's not the, the default. It's not the only way that justice happens. Some of you may be secret superheroes. I don't really know. Uh, that's for you to know, to not tell me about. Uh, if I need you, I'll signal you somehow. But um, justice, I think, is one of those things where we're like, okay, if you're, not a, if you're not a police officer or an attorney or a judge, or it's not your week for jury duty, like, how do you really bring that about? And it's, because we have a very, like, uh, like, we've learned that from watching too much TV, that that's where justice happens, you know. Um, justice is a, is a concept that we need to be familiar with because we see it from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end. It is a part of the people of God and is a part of the heart of God uh, in his response to the world being completely busted uh, by sin. And so, um, so that, that word, when it says, um, look at verse 8 again. He's told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? Um, some of you are like, that grammar makes my ears hurt. Uh, God wants you to, some translations say, act justly. Some of you are like, yeah, that's better. You know? um, so what does it mean to act justly, to do justice? Well, the, there's, there's two things to keep in mind. And certainly, uh, Tim Keller uh, at Redeemer Presbyterian in New York has, I think, really uh, been a gift to the church and to our church in the kind of unpacking some of this stuff. And so if you've read Generous Justice, uh, you've probably heard a few of these things before, but um, 
Justice in general, here's a, here's, a, here's a short way to think about it. It's you're caring for the vulnerable. You're caring for, for anyone who is vulnerable. And we've talked about this before, and you, you look at biblical examples, that could be, that could be uh, widows and orphans. It could be those who are hungry, those who are thirsty. It could be those who, who don't have shelter. It could be those who are traveling and they're strangers in a, uh, in a strange land. Um, it's those who are oppressed, those who are enslaved in, in some way. Uh, you just look around the world and people who are vulnerable because of social issues, economic issues, um, and uh, spiritual issues, emotional issues. There's just all around us, there's all, all kinds of struggle that's there. And so when people are vulnerable uh, and things are happening to them, uh, that is in, injustice. That is not the way that God designed things. When you go back to Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and Eden, there was, there was no need for justice because there was no injustice. You know? Everything was just like God wanted it to be. Everything was in a right relationship to, to everything else, including to God. So God to Adam and Eve, everything was good there. Um, God to creation, creation to God. Adam and Eve to creation, creation to Adam and Eve. Like a, every, draw a connection between everything that's there and everything was just like it needed to be. Um, when sin came in, all of those connections got broken or twisted or um, just disjointed somehow. And every, all those lines that you could draw, they all just got messed up. And when everything gets messed up and things are thrown out of a right relationship with each other, there's injustice that happens. There, there start to be, um, uh, there's oppression that comes and uh, you get things out of, out of whack and it becomes like a hierarchy and the ones at the top of the, of the hierarchy take advantage of the ones below. And that's just kind of the way things have happened. And so, so here we are in this world that's completely busted by sin. And that's where the injustice comes from. So the people of God are sent into this situation where everything's kind of out of whack. And he sends us in and we're supposed to go in and um, do justice. Which means, um, how do we fix the fact that every, everything's fractured between between everyone and everything, how do we deal with that? And so, um, there's kind of two, two sort of, um, I guess, w- ways that this works out. One is, is with action. And so, uh, you step in and you bring about justice. So, if you see, uh, you're walking down the street, you see um, a kid beating up another kid, you don't keep walking, you intervene. There's action that's there. You separate them. If you're a parent and your two kids are fighting, you, you get in there, you separate them, and you, you discipline, you punish, you deal with it however. Um, you, you, know, you treat them equitably like they should be treated, but, but you step in and there's some sort of action that's there. And so that's one thing that we see with, with justice is you don't just look the other way when you see injustice happening. To do justice and act justly means it's, it's a verb. Like you get in there and you physically do something. Um, and there are a lot of forms that that'll take, and we'll get to that in just a second. So, so there's one sense of justice where it's an action. There's another sense of justice where it's, it's relational. So um, let's say, that, let's go back to the parent thing. You're, so you're two kids, they're fighting, you separate them, you find out what's going on. There's a certain sort of punishment, certain sort of, of, of uh, like, you know, you get that situation dealt with. 
And then you, uh, you spend time, you talk to each of them. And you work through that, and you, in finding out what happened, there's some sort of uh, reconciliation that happens and a restoration of their relationship. And so when that happens, they are put back in right relationship with each other, so things are just again. So there's action, and then there's relationship. And the design behind this, and so like God builds this into like the community DNA of the people of Israel, right? So you remember when we went through uh, the, the book of Ruth a while back, and we and we were talking about uh, how you um, when you have a field and you have your workers harvesting. I said leave the leave leave the edges, leave the corners, because that's for people who are vulnerable. And Ruth was one of the like benefactors of Boaz and his generosity and his justness. And so that's what God wants from his people. From the very beginning of the Bible, he's saying you leave some in the margins because what that does, that takes action towards those who are having injustices against them and they're hungry. You see Boaz, he knows his workers and he knows the ones who are gathering in the fields, and there's a relationship that's there. And he's trying to, like, those two things end up feeding each other. And so you have, you have the action of justice and the relationship of justice, and they, they, like, they work, like, together to, like, fuel one another. And, like, put the two words on top of each other and have arrows, like, go in a circle, and they just, like, do like this. And here's, here's what I mean by that. You, um, you intervene in action... You work to restore a relationship. When you see the rightness of a relationship, there's something that happens in you. And then when you see injustice again, you act on it again. And, and, and so right relationship pushes you to act on injustice. And acting on injustice leads to setting right the relationship, which pushes you again. And so it's just, it happens over and over and over again. If it's happening individually with everybody over and over and over again, then what begins to happen is the culture begins to change. And the, the atmosphere begins to change. And so God's intention is for, he has Israel sitting, like if you look on a, where they are on a map, and you look where the trade routes were, all these other countries, they all had to pass through Israel at some point. And so his, like, this is what is, like, God was going for uh, before, you know, of course the things, you know, we tend to mess them up. Is for here, here's this group, they're traveling through, they get to Israel, and they get in, they're like, what's up with these people? They're so nice. And they share, and they're kind to us, and, they're, and the hospitality is amazing. And they serve this one God. They don't serve all these, all these other gods. They serve this one God, and they are, they're just the best people ever. And part of that is because he wanted them to be in that cycle of, Justice and action in a relationship, and as it's going on, you enter in, and there's this just this community that's like, hey, we don't know you. Come in. Let's. You, you hungry? You want something to eat? How can we take care of you? How can we get you ready for the rest of your journey? The idea being, these people come in, and they're like, your God is the real God because nobody else is like this anywhere else. So that's what he wants. When we act justly, it's supposed to bring about this kind of change in the atmosphere. Here's, here's an example. 
Um, when, uh, when I was young, a long time ago, uh, I, was, I was always like fairly observant, um, like weirdly so. Uh, and I noticed at, w- at one point that there were, there's this, this place outside of Baton Rouge where there were two golf courses like right next to each other. Said, That's weird, you know. Why would you have two golf courses right next to each other? And so, being inquisitive, I start to ask, why are there two golf courses right next to each other? Here's the answer. Uh, this is probably when I was like nine or ten. Um, it's like, well, at one point in time, black people and white people, they were, they were separate in, on a lot of issues. And so, uh, one of those courses is where the white people play golf, and another course where the black people play golf. And I can, I can just remember being so confused by that. Like, I just don't I, don't, I don't get it. And the reason why I didn't get it is because the atmosphere was different. Because the generation before me and before them and before them before them, this cycle of justice had been like, had been rolling. Now, admittedly, way too slowly. And I know we have a ways to go. But what started to happen was justice as action and relationship. Some people started to, to see injustice happening based on race, and they got involved. They said, this, this should not happen. And they got involved, whether it was through uh, like physically separating some, some things, like if there was some sort of violence or whatever. Sometimes it was through protest. Sometimes it was through legislation and laws being passed. Then um, there are, you know, I mean, there's so many heroes and freedom fighters of our day. Martin Luther King, we just, you know, have, have, we honor him so much because he was a lead voice in that. And um, so the action was there, but also there was the relationship there. And people started to realize, like, man, this injustice doesn't make sense because, because we're all the same. Like, we're all made in the image of God. Skin color is a ridiculous way to divide people. It makes no sense at all. And as the relationships started to be restored, when you began to see injustice, people would act on that, and that led to better relationships. And so those two aspects had just started to get better and better and better and better to the point where you know, generations had been working through that, working through that. So when I was a kid, I didn't understand it. Because that was not the, the house I grew up in. That was not the, the school environment I was in. It wasn't there because, because that social justice atmosphere had begun to change. And it was different for me, and for a lot of you it was different. And so our kids in the nursery back there, they're, they're gonna have, it's, it's just getting progressively more and more difficult to understand how that could happen. Why? Because when you do justice, and you let God really, really empower your efforts, it changes the atmosphere of your culture. That's how it, how it works. And so that's just an example that we've all experienced of how like this happens and should happen and should keep happening. And not just about race, but about any sort of division and any sort of you know, situation. That's what God is saying. If you want to know how to respond to Easter, then how about that? the action of justice and the relationship of justice, and let those two cycle together in a way that changes individuals and also 
you push those individuals together and it begins to change the entire culture. And so, um, that reenactment of the gospel brings about change. So that's what makes social justice social, is that. And so Israel, here, here they are, here's Micah kind of setting the tone for some things. Here's, here's what, what, some of the things they were up against. One, they lived in a world that was completely, completely distraught by sin. Uh, okay, so do we. Um, they lived in a world that had tons of fractured relationships uh, based on all kinds of different factors. Okay, so do we. Um, they, let's see what else I write down. They had a, a wealthy upper class, especially at this point in the history of Israel. Uh, they didn't have a lot of oppression from other nations that, during this little stretch. And so the wealthy upper class, they just got richer. And what was happening is they were starting to take advantage of the poor. And uh, so that was going on. That happens today as well, all over the world. Um, and also, they had a bunch of religious people who were completely content with just the routine sacrifices, thinking that that was enough. And unfortunately, we see that in our world today, too. And that's, this is not an indictment against the ring or whatever. It's a, it's a reality that we're in, as there are plenty of people who are content going to church, being a part of small groups, showing up on Sundays, putting money in the buckets, being a part of all that stuff. Yet when it comes to injustice, they just keep walking. They just don't care. And just like Israel was missing the point, a lot of Christians today are missing the point. But not all of them. Not all of us. I do believe that God is, uh, is changing and shaping us. And uh, I think maybe there was a time in some of your lives, or certainly a time in my life, when, when I would have, would have just kept going, that kind of stuff it wasn't there. But I think he's changing the culture uh, and changing the atmosphere to the way that we think. And we realize that just going to church and like having like good attendance there and being a faithful tither and that kind of stuff, that those are, when there isn't justice and there isn't mercy and there isn't faithfulness happening, we're, we're missing the abundant life. We're missing something. We're not totally understanding Easter or Good Friday. Now the biggest difference between Israel and us is the fact that they were in bondage to sin. And if you are a Christian here, you are not in bondage to sin. We talked about it last week. And Jesus has freed us from that cycle of self-reliance and pride and one of the reasons He has freed us is so that we can go into the world and look for His image bearers, His children, who are the victims of injustice, and we can take action and we can set right relationships with them. And that that cycle would just get faster and faster and faster with us as individuals and us as a church and all the churches so that our city ultimately is like one of those places, those cities of refuge where there's just peace and goodness that's here. You're know, like, man, in Baton Rouge, do people treat everybody the same? It's incredible. There's a rightness of relationship. There's, to, to get to the point where there's a, a talk about 
justice doesn't even make sense because there's no injustice for us to rage against. You know? That's what we want. That's a part of what we have been freed for. So what, is that, what does that look like? Let me, get, let me give you some practicals uh, just to kind of walk away with. Um, I'm going to run through this pretty quickly. So Jesus has freed us so that we can act justly. We can do justice in, in the true sense. Um, what does that look like? Here's a, here's a helpful way maybe to think about it. Um, think about your life as, uh, as like, like your relational life. Okay? As a set of like concentric circles. right? Circle at the middle. Circle around that one, around that one, around that one. Working outward. Um, and if you were to map out the relationships of, of your life in that sense, there, are, uh, there is a way to do justice in each of those, in all of those relationships. And all of them are very, very important. The, the center of that would be your relationship with God, right? He's the center. And so how do you relate to God in a way that is just? Uh, here, let me just put it very simply, is you preach the gospel to yourself every day, all day. That you walk in that freedom, that you know that there is no condemnation uh, for you if you are in Christ Jesus. That you have been justified with Him, that everything has been reconciled and set right. That, that, you, um, that, that Jesus, He didn't turn you upside down, He set you right side up and that you and Him are good. Like you are good. Because all of justice comes from a right view of who God is and who you are. And so if we want to talk about, all right, how do we end modern day slavery? It's going to start with understanding who Jesus is. And if you want to know what justice looks like uh, in, in your home or in your family or in your workplace, it's always going to start at that center relationship, which is with you and the Lord. It, all, it starts there and it's always center out. It's always center out. Always, always, always. And so justice between you and God has already happened. It's just a lot of times we need a reminder of that steadily. And so, so you go there and you, so you move one circle out, and that would be, that would be for, many, for many of you, it would be your family. Um, that, that would be like the, that next rung of relationships that's there. And I know there's different, different kinds of family represented here, and I, and I get that. Um, let me go through a couple of them for a second. If, if you are married, so your spouse would be, would be the the next little rung of that family rung, right? Um, what does just, justice look like in your marriage? Well, if justice is care for the vulnerable, okay, in action and in relationship, then uh, it starts with you paying attention to your spouse and their vulnerabilities. It won't be every day, but there's probably plenty of days where there's, there's just something there. Some, some, there's some sort of of weakness in, in the walls, you know. Um, there's some sort of vulnerable spot where maybe something happened with the kids, something happened at work, something happened just internally. Um, maybe they, they, they watched something, they had a memory come back. There's just some sort of vulnerability there. Um, you, know, as, you know, a part of what makes Jesus such a fabulous intercessor for us, like he's just the best intercessor ever, um, a part of what makes him so good at it is that he pays attention to you. And so husbands and wives, you've got to pay attention to your spouse. You've got to talk. You've got to listen. You've got to process. And when you sense some sort of vulnerability, some sort of, of lie or some sort of situation that's there, 
You do, those, you do justice there. You take action. And you speak truth, and you help unpack that, and you process that, and you, you, um, you're a helpmate in that sense. That's a part of why God, why God put you together, is for you to help one another in this. And so justice very much exists in your marriage. You tend to them. You're their helpmate in holiness. That's a part of what you do. So you take action. You don't just, you don't just like walk by. When you sense that, you respond. And you, and you help like, to make sure that the relationships are, are set, that everything is in a right relationship, that, that their relationship with the Lord is, is where it needs to be, and that your relationship with each other is where it needs to be, and you, you, work, you work them maybe through this concentric circle idea. But look, do not, do not think that social justice only happens on the other side of the world or it only happens at breakfast on the levee, or it only happens in those kind of situations. It happens in your home. And so it begins with your relationship with God, and then it goes to those closest to you. Um, so with your spouse, with your kids, if you have children, uh, I know that, that we have a ton of them here uh, at the ring. A lot of them are real young, but let me tell you this. If you think that your kids aren't vulnerable to injustice then you need to realize what's really going on in our world. Um, like you don't need to be scared of it. Like it's Jesus, I mean, it's totally fine, but your kids, are, they're going to have bullies on the playground. They're going to. They're going to be lied to by TV and by movies and by the kids they go to school with. And um, They're going to be those vulnerabilities there. They're going to get insecure about things. They're going to wonder stuff. Uh, they're, they're, that's just a, they're going to go through it. And so what you do as parents, it's kind of like you do with a spouse, you pay attention to them, and you process their lives together. And if some kid's picking on them, you, like you're, you stepping in does not mean that you go beat the kid up. You'll probably want to, but that's probably not justice. It's, that's not justice, okay. Um, uh, but there's action there. You don't just be like, well, you know. Hit him harder next time. You're like no, like you like you talk to him and you take action, and you and you talk about that because because you have to plan this and you have to train your kids in justice. You have to train them up in that way. They understand that that the reason the reason you don't just like knock a kid's lights out when he takes your toy, it's not just because you, then you'll get in trouble. It's like no, this is why we don't hit people. And from the very, very young age, they can start to understand we're the same, it's just a toy. We're, we're the same, just a toy. They learn to share, they learn to help each other, they learn to say thank you and please, they learn all that stuff, and there's a justice that's forming in them. You, you, you don't stumble into that. You don't accidentally teach your kids how to live justly. You train them, you teach them. So how do you do that? Those conversations need to be happening between parents and uh, come talk to me. I would love to dialogue with how do you teach a three-year-old justice. I would love to sit down and try to figure that out. Um, that would be amazing to me. But I think that's a part of training these kids up. Um, and you expose them to ministry. Take them to breakfast on the levee sometime. Take them to the, to the shelters if you can. Expose them to the reality of the world that, man, there's so many like, things that are lopsided in our world. And we're working to like, help level the ground. Let them see that my mom and dad, they take action. 
They also, they don't just toss a sandwich to some guy and drive off. They have conversations and they, they pray for people and they understand that. And when someone's sick, we go, we make soup for them. We go, bring, bring your kids with you. Let them see that stuff. And there's something going on and it's time to pray. Get your kids in the circle and have them pray with you. And who cares if they fidget the whole time and whatever. It doesn't really matter. You're training them in justice. Imagine if your kid was the kid, like your kid was the fourth grader, who the teacher's like, I don't understand, but your kid is like, they just really understand something that other kids don't understand. It's like, yeah, my kid's doing justice. That's why. That's who we are. In that family realm, there's justice that happens. It happens to your own parents and to your siblings and Anywhere there's vulnerability, you take action and you restore a relationship and you let that change that culture. You move out another rung to some of those consistent relationships in your life, people you work with. If you're a, if you're a teacher, okay, like your students, your coworkers, whatever you do for a living, there are people that you see them day in, day out, day in, day out. There's injustice happening in all of their lives all the time. So you can just keep walking. You can listen and you can respond. You can not look the other way, but you can defend. You can be a part, a part of setting things right. And so, yeah, if one of your coworkers is constantly making inappropriate jokes, you might be the one that has to take action and speak up. But you also explain why you're going to speak up. That you might have to be that guy, that girl. That's a response to Easter Sunday. You'd be like, no, we're not going to make those kind of jokes here. You're not going to send me these kind of forwards and emails. People still do that. I don't know. We're not going to laugh about this. We're not going to go there. We're not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to treat this person that way. We're not going to haze the new guy. We're not going to make fun of the boss when he's out for the day or whatever. We're, just, we're not going to do that. Ridiculous. Bring justice into your workplace. If you're a teacher, you're, you have kids that may not experience a drop of justice in any other place except your classroom. Consider that. I taught for a little while. I get it. Sometimes you're like, I just got to get through the day. And other times you got to do things where you're like, I cannot walk by. I can't let this kid go home thinking that that's real. The consistent relationships that you have. You move outside of that and there's, there's church relationships. I think, you, I think you should join in in the things that we're doing corporately as a church related to justice. I think you should go to the levy. I think you should go to the shelters. I think that that should be something that we experience and that we're comfortable with and familiar with. And, and that we should keep looking for new ways to be a part of that. Move, move beyond the church, go into the city that collectively, um, a couple weeks ago we had a meeting with all the, the churches we could get together who were doing homeless ministry. And we're like, all right, let's just figure out what everybody's doing. And there was this camaraderie that was there. It was, just, it was incredible. And there are churches all over our city that are digging into injustice all the time. We're trying to change the atmosphere of our city. And it goes beyond our city into our nation beyond our nation to the nations, all the way to India where Nabeen and Matilda are bringing these kids in who are the victims of injustice. 
They're saying, let's set this right. Let's take action. Let's restore your relationship with the Lord and your relationships with each other. Let's bring justice to this world. And so that's, I mean, justice it can look a number of different ways. Sometimes I think that the only people, I think that we get hung up in the fact that there's organizations that are going in and they'll, they'll raid some sort of a brothel somewhere and free all these people and you're like, they're doing the justice. And you can't say, man, that's justice and then ignore your wife. Ignore your husband. Ignore your kids. Ignore what's going on in our own city. That doesn't make any sense. That justice begins always with who God is and what He has done with you. And doing justice, it's center out. So start to look around those relationships that God's given you and figure out what it looks like there. And as the opportunities come up to be a part of of justice ministry in different ways, then step into that in obedience, but understand that He's going to start you with the relationships that you already have in your relationship with Him. And you are reenacting the gospel in that way. What we're trying to do is we're trying to end destructive cycles and start new cycles. In the destructive cycles that have, that have the rich, uh, and not the rich, that's the a, that's a wrong way to say it, but to have certain people um, who have a lot of wealth or whatever oppressing the poor in certain parts of the world, and yeah, even in our country, um, trying to end those cycles and start new ones where there's action and there's relationship. Um, is your response to the covenant-keeping faithfulness of Jesus. Um, Jesus basically says to us, all right, if, if you want to know how to respond to the fact that I loved you this way, then you go and you, you, you go take care of those who are vulnerable. Like, I've cared for you, now you go care for them. Uh, it's a logical response to who he is and what he's done. Um, and so what does he require of us? That's what he requires. The sacrifice, the sacrifices and the things that we do in being a part of church and giving all those things, they play a role. What God wants is for those things to be unified with a heart that looks around and says, I'm not going to just walk by anymore. And we say, God, will you give us your eyes and your ears that we can, can wake up to what's going on around us and respond and that's some of what's going to happen over the next couple of days. I think the church, I think the church is going to get shaken a little bit, and that we have to get, we should get excited for that. Um, and I'll talk about that more in a few minutes. But just, but think about what would happen if every Christian in our city took this idea very, very seriously and really just went for it. Think about what a weird Monday that would be at work. Think about how weird schools would be if every teacher in Baton Rouge and in Ascension and Livingston and West Baton Rouge and all these teachers who are Christians, if every teacher did that, think how weird the classrooms would get. Think how weird the, the office complexes would get. Think how weird the hospitals and the law firms and the every, I mean, anywhere you go, think how weird LSU would be tomorrow. My goodness. But not weird in a bad way. Weird in an awesome way. A way that people say, man, this Jesus thing is for real. So, let me pray for us. Let's uh, let's stand together.
I think, I think that as we sing tonight, the, some of it I think is really catching a vision for what, for what justice really could evoke and spark in our city. And so I'm, I'm going to pray in that direction uh, as the band comes back up. So let me, let's pray together. God, as we think about the, just the way that sin has fractured all of our relationships and what that has led to, in some, in some senses, God, honestly, the, the idea of justice is kind of overwhelming because there's so much injustice out there. And I think it's easy, God, for us just... God, in all honesty, just to, to feel like it's too big, you know, it's just too much. But Lord, we know you haven't, you haven't called us to single-handedly fix the world. You've done that. You just called us to be obedient and to go into the, to the lives that you've connected us to and the workplaces that you've provided for us and the the church that we're a part of, you just just cause us to walk obediently in those things. So Lord, I, I ask God that you just kind of spark something in us through this text and through these songs. That really that we would just kind of catch a vision for what could be. Um, and when we think about people not having food, not having shelter, uh, and that's one that's one aspect. We think about people being oppressed. We think about one group judging another group. We think about people being made insecure because they're the butt of a joke or they've been told something their whole lives. Lord, that that that's injustice as well. Lord, that there are adults living a completely insecure life. Um, but there's emo- emotional vulnerability and there's those who economically just, just struggling to get by. God, that we would really just see the whole picture that there are those whether it's social or economic or spiritual or emotional or physical. Lord, that we as your children, that we really would just kind of stand up and just refuse to walk by that. God, that you would continue to make us into the kind of people who take action and build relationships and seek for that kind of equality and unity that exists just in a person-to-person kind of way. God, that you would give us your eyes that we would see, your ears that we would hear, we would slow down our lives and quit just just blasting through every single day, just concerned about ourselves and our schedule and our whatevers. 
God, that you would make us sensitive and help us to listen deeply and to respond with courage. And God, that you would, you would make us angry in that, in that righteous way that we see with you, Lord, that we would just really just get mad. And then a very holy way that would lead us to action and that we would rise up, that your, your church would wake up but God, that we wouldn't point the finger at other people, that we would start with ourselves. We, we can't do this uh, on our own, and so we're just asking, Lord, that you would evoke some of these things in us. And pray, God, even as we sing, that this would be the case. That we would have a vision for what could be.